All right. Welcome, everybody, to episode number 31 of Sports Cards Live. This is a special episode that we are doing today because, as you all know, the 2003-4 LeBron James Gold Rookie Auto Patch just sold at auction for $1.845 million. This is episode number 31, which is kind of funny because on Wednesday, I'm doing episode number 30 with Dr. James Beckett as my guest. Everyone knows who Dr. James Beckett is, the man whose name is on all the price guides, the man whose name is on one of the biggest grading companies in, in, in our hobby. And he will be my guest on Wednesday. We already had a plan, so I'm not changing the numbering on that one. We're going to stick with episode number 30 for Dr. Beckett. This is episode number 31. I uh, want to let you guys know that'll be Wednesday. On Saturday, I will be in Kelowna, British Columbia. So we're taking Sports Cards Live on the road. We're going to be broadcasting live from Players' Choice Sports, which is right there in Kelowna, BC. Beautiful location. Check it out if you're, if you're ever there. That's where we'll be doing that from. If you are new to this show, Sports Cards Live, thank you so much for viewing. Thank you to my guests this evening, Carvin Chung and Joshua Johnson. Uh, for bringing new viewers to the show and for joining us tonight. If you are new and you haven't yet subscribed to the YouTube channel for Sports Cards Live, I would greatly appreciate if you could do that. That would be, uh, if you consider that, that'd be awesome. Thank you very much in advance for that. And just let you know, I hit the, the, the YouTube channel, hit 700 subscribers today. So thank you to everybody for that. It means a lot. And I greatly appreciate that. So we are going to get into this card and talk about First of all, the card itself, you know, the history of the card uh, and, and really what it means to the hobby. And it's interesting. This card isn't a designated rookie card. It's a parallel. We're going to talk about that. We're going to get a bit a bit into the, the, the GOAT discussion. Le, LeBron James, Michael Jordan. So we're going to cover a bunch of topics here. Before we do, I want to introduce my guest for this evening. So my first guest is Carvin Chung. Carvin I'm going to bring out Carvin, and then I'm going to introduce him. All right, Carvin, welcome back to episode number 31 of Sports Cards Live. You were my first guest ever, episode two. It's been a, it's been a while since I have you on the, had you on the show, man. It's great to have you back. You are the architect, the inventor, the legend, the genius behind exquisite basketball cards. You created this brand. You conceptualized it back in 2003. Welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Uh, thank you for having my show and glad to see your uh, channel growing. So it's great to be here. Thank you, man. I, I greatly appreciate that. All right. The other guest we have tonight is many of you know this guy. His name is Josh Johnson. Josh is the uh, he runs a YouTube channel and one of the best content show, hobby content shows on the Internet. It is called Cardboard Chronicles. Check that out if you haven't already, but I suspect most of you have. He is also one of the creators of the new sports card data analytics tool that is called card ladder i recommend you check that out as well let's bring out joshua johnson josh welcome to sports cards live episode number 31 how are you doing tonight man doing great thanks for having me jeremy and thanks for the uh, shout outs and and the respect for the show i appreciate it i've uh, i've enjoyed your show so far it's great I appreciate that, Josh. I, you know, I mentioned to you earlier, but just so the viewers know, if you aren't familiar with Cardboard Chronicles, you know, I started my show, uh, Sports Cards Live, back in April, and uh, I had two huge influences. Uh, one was Chris uh, McGill and uh, and Christina and and Brian from the House of Jordans, which is another amazing YouTube channel, and the other one was Josh Johnson, who kind of pioneered the whole interview show, uh, focusing on basketball cards and 
Josh also owns a very important card that we are going to speak about very soon, which is, you know, in addition to his hobby knowledge, his hobby involvement and uh, his collection, uh, you know, it's, it's really that card that made me think, hey, he'd be a great guy to bring on because he has one of the parallel cards to the card that uh, the LeBron James card that just sold at Golden Auctions a few days ago. So guys, before we jump in, before we welcome the guests, I just want to let everybody know a bit about this card. So I've got a few notes here. I'm just going to kind of read them, guys. So the card that we're talking about, as you all saw in the headlines, it is a 2003-2004 Upper Deck Exquisite Basketball card. It's a LeBron James. We call it a rookie auto patch or a rookie patch auto. It's a rookie year card. It has a game, a piece of a game used jersey from the logo, like the actual logo patch and that's been cut up and embedded in that card, a game used logo that was you know, from a jersey that was game used in an actual NBA game. It also has LeBron James's autograph on it, meaning he held the card and he put his autograph on it. Really cool. There was a card out of, there's two versions of the card. We can call one the silver and one the gold. The silver card is out of 99 copies and it carries the true rookie card designation. The gold card, the one that sold, is a more limited edition card and it's numbered to the player's jersey number and that's why there's only 23 copies made. It's a, called a parallel because it looks a lot like the original rookie card, just a little bit different in terms of some of the foil accents and the serially the serial numbering on the card. There's only 23 of them of this gold card. Two of them have been graded a 9.5 by Beckett Grading Services, one of the leaders in sports card grading and authentication in our hobby. There's two of them that are 9.5 on a 10-point scale. And the one that sold is actually the weaker of the two 9.5s. What I mean by that is these cards all have subgrades. So the overall grade on both cards is a 9.5. Again, two of the 23 graded out a 9.5. Beckett had graded a few other copies that came in at lower grades. But of the two 9.5s, they have what are called a subgrade. So I'm actually going to, let's have a look at the card very quickly, everybody. So I'm going to do that right here. This is the card that sold. And you can see... Up in here, you've got these subgrades, and this card graded a 9.5 for centering, a 9.5 for edges, a 9 for corners, and a 9.5 for surface. Overall, a 9.5 grade. The other copy of this card, and we don't know what it looks like right now, we don't see the patch, the patch being this piece here. This is the piece of game-used material. And of course, there's the autograph, there's the numbering, 14 of 23. The other copy actually had two of those 9.5s are 10s, so it's actually got two half-point subgrades better which in my opinion makes it a superior card not superior but a better card than this one in terms of condition so who knows what that one would be worth but most likely more than the 1.845 million dollars that the buyer of this one just paid okay let's bring go back to full screen here so a little that's a little bit about the card this card it broke the modern day record for price price paid and sold for a card produced after 1980. Modern day is defined as after 1980 by some people. For me, I actually consider it to be more after 1990, but that's neither here nor there for tonight. The card that it beat was actually another very important card, a Mike Trout rookie card that was sold in May of 2020. Just recently, this card here, it's a 2009 Mike Trout autographed uh, call it a rookie card from 2009, also graded by Beckett Grading Services as a 9.5. And this card sold for $923,000 in May. So here we are two years later, and that record wasn't only broken, it was smashed. It was doubled. We went from 923000 
to $1,845,000. Pretty amazing overall. Okay, guys, let's get into it now. So now that we've set the, we, we've really explained what this card is for people who may not have known exactly how it fits into our hobby. Carvin, you are the man behind the card. And what I mean by that is you were working at Upper Deck in the early 2000s. You had an idea for a super high-end brand of basketball cards. And your idea was what ended up becoming Upper Deck's exquisite collection. Can you take us back a little bit in time? Well, take us back to 2003 or even before and explain the process you went through in terms of how you came up with this idea and how you saw it through to production and um, you know what you think of it now. Oh, that could be a long story. Let's just start off with, um, you know, um, for, for knowledge sake, I mean, I always ask this question, but I'll, I'll just state it right now. The first ever S, sorry, RPA rookie, true rookie as in the full rookie card has an autograph patch was released in 2001 and it was called SPA football. SP authentic football had the rookie patches in there. There's three in total. So anyways, uh, at that point, I came in in June of 2001 and we had a sales meeting and say, well, SPA football needs a little bit of revitalization. And they determined, why not just do the first ever rookie patch auto? Never been done. We've done jersey autos and everything. And, and in football, that was the key. So, you know, off, off we went, we did the SPA football rookies. And then, of course, it did really well. So came pressure on basketball. Hey, Carvin, why don't you do the rookie auto patch card uh, in, in basketball, SPA basketball? I'm like, well, first off, does basketball sell well? Oh, yeah, it sells really well, SPA. So why do we need it in a product like SPA? We're going to do, you know, the amount of volume that we set to do and it's going to sell out. Why even do it? And on top of it, we all know the year of 0102 was a pretty bad rookie crop. I believe the number one pick was Kwame Brown and it was the, it was the class of five high school kids, Tyson Chandler, Eddie Curry, I think Diaz, Diaz Saguna, Diop is another one that went to Cleveland. Uh, there's the five, five high schoolers, right? And obviously it, did, it didn't do well that draft. So I said, well, let's just write it out, see how it does in 2001, 2002, and let's focus on, you know, that's an idea we can leave in our, in our sleeve, in our arsenal, right? So, of course, um, come 2002, in February, came that SI cover, and it was the chosen one. And I was like, all right, this is the guy we're going to target for 2003, 2004. He's going to be in the 2003 draft was LeBron James. He was a junior at St. Vincent, St. Mary. And potentially that's something that we can now take it up to another level. At that point, uh, the number one product, you know, in terms of price point for basketball was Ultimate Collection at $100 a pack. That was made by, and, and it's Carvin, sorry to interrupt you, but that was, it. I want to I clarify two things. First of all, SPA that you just referred to, that stands for SP Authentic. That was a, a high-end brand that Upper Deck had put out in many sports, but it, uh, but it wasn't their highest-end brand at the time. So, But it did have some rookie patch autos in it uh correct yes in 2001 the football had the autograph rookies had the autograph patch rookies and had patch rookies okay so, um, so if, you, if you go through the list you'll, you'll see that you know how many of them were autograph patch so that was the the first rpa true rpa that we're talking about in the hobby um so and that point you know for for moving forward you know SPA had a SRP US dollars, of course, even though I'm Canadian, I'll, I'll speak in US dollars. It's $4.99 a pack at that time. Okay. And at $4.99, 
that's a far cry from $100 a pack on Ultimate Collection. So if we were going to do it, we're going to do an Ultimate Collection. And as you had discussed, you know, with previous guests, there was an RPA in 0102 Ultimate Collection, but it wasn't the true rookie RPA, as in all the rookie cards had a piece of patch on it. So that was something that we always had in our arsenal. And obviously, when we saw LeBron and potentially we can sign them to an exclusive deal, that was the product they put out. Now, what it was called, what price point was not to be determined, but we at least we knew that we could put something at that year. Okay. And when you referred to the the SI cover, in case people don't know, he's, you know, and I don't mean to patronize anybody, the, the viewers especially, but we're talking about the Sports Illustrated cover that had LeBron James on the cover and it said the chosen one. What When you saw that, Carvin, what did that do to you? What did... What did that spark in your creativity? Well, that was, I believe it was the first time a high schooler actually made it to the cover of SI. I mean, prior to that, I believe there was a J.R. Reed. I'm, I'm a huge Tar Heel fan, so uh, that may sway me in my goat dis discussion. <laughs> but um, either either way, uh, you know, J.R. Reed was a big deal because he was on the first, he was the first, I believe, college player to be gracing at, as a freshman, I believe. And then after that, LeBron was, I believe, the first high schooler to be on the cover. So it was a big deal. He fit the perfect model in terms of like the Jordan-esque like type, you know, um, physique. Uh, he was a little bit shorter at that time. Obviously, he grew a little bit more uh, afterwards. But uh, that was that was it. I was like, okay, this is the kid that we got to, tar to, tar to target that year. Right. So, so you guys, as as Upper Deck, the company, you guys targeted him. You ended up. What what happened to the draft? I think something happened to the draft in terms of is that where you guys signed him to an exclusive autograph deal and then allowing you to move forward and produce these cards like the one that sold on Saturday? Okay. So the the day the day that we finally got the deal done. So we you know after his high school career was done, um, you know we we met with the family, not me, but our um our attorneys did and uh on the day of the not the draft but the lottery so before we even knew he was going to cleveland the deal was negotiated and signed and it was his i believe it was his first endorsement deal and on the east coast at 11 o'clock p.m stuart scott went on air saying lebron had just that was an opening opening news with lebron signed his first endorsement deal with upper deck call upper deck the one name athlete name company between Kobe, MJ, and LeBron, and others, right? So he, he went that. Now, later on, when it came to Pacific Coast time, at 11 o'clock Pacific Coast, he just signed his $90 million Nike deal. So that kind of trumped up the deck. Sure. <laughs> um, and I believe that at that, that, that conversation, that I mean, that uh, broadcast, Stuart Scott made mention of it was a $6 million or five-year, $5 million deal, too. So a million dollars a year, he kind of made the, that announcement. I wasn't even aware of the, the actual total. I knew that we probably wouldn't lose in a bidding war with LeBron, but uh, at that time it was on the night of the draft before even we knew he was going to Cleveland. So obviously I think they were concerned with the teams in the, the lottery that he would not go to the best team possible. So they probably wanted to negotiate that deal in prior. Okay. Okay. So you guys do the deal with him. Can you, and that that's really important because without that deal, there's no, there's no autograph rookie card of LeBron James in this upper deck product. You're not working on the product and your design team isn't going to come up with such a beautiful design for a card. It just doesn't exist. Can you tell us a little bit then about the creation of the set and particularly like the, the card that sold, as we've said already, there's 23 copies of this card that exist. 
And it's actually kind of interesting because LeBron James himself, and I'll, I'll just share this with everybody. Uh, LeBron James himself tweeted, uh, re responded to an ESPN tweet here that basically said uh, that, you know, he owns a couple copies of this card itself. And there's been a bit of speculation sort of thing about, well, wow, where does LeBron James get his, get, where does he buy his cards? I think even, uh, I think his name is Ken Golden, who owns Golden Auctions, even said, you know, again, Golden Auctions being the auction house that just brokered this deal on Saturday. He even said, uh, you know, where he posted, where does LeBron James buy his cards? So it's interesting. Um, can you tell us a bit about the process in terms of how do you go from getting these cards signed by LeBron? First of all, you produce the cards. Then you have to get them to LeBron to sign. Then you have to get them back. And then you have to put them into these packs. And these packs go out into the hobby and they eventually get open. Can you tell us a bit about that process in terms of like, did you, as a, as a key person at Upper Deck, as the guy who conceptualized this whole idea for, um, for basketball cards, did you touch all these 23 cards? Did they all pass through your hands at any one point? Were you there when LeBron signed them? Anything you can add to that just to add to the mystique of this card? Okay, so the cards were were manufactured, sent out to LeBron. I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not 100% sure if it was witnessed. A lot of times LeBron is witnessed by an uh, athlete's relations person and secures the cards. But what I can um, talk about is the process of, and Jeremy, you went through a process of this, of hand packing box the cards and it's a it's a long process it's tiring but it was the first ever set that we hand packed because at, at that price at the price point of five dollars per pack was the first time it ever happened we felt that we wanted to create equal value amongst the the boxes now there was a lot of argument inside upper deck about you can't you can't do this well a couple of things happened number one they mixed various miles because we had number 23 at the time and he was part of the case mix. And I was like, well, wait a second, why is Darius Miles? Wasn't well, that Jordan? No, that's not Jordan, that's Darius Miles. So they put that into a case mix as a mistake, so which we caught when we were looking at the cards. And number two, there was something in the solicitation that said there was one RPA per box. And I can go over, there was there was actually, I believe, three, three rookies. And I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, Josh and, and Jeremy, uh, but there is one player that didn't have an autograph patch. And I actually forgotten about that in creating the collation. The player's name was Kyle Corver, who still plays the today. So um, he was not at the photo shoot. He, he did not. And at that time, we had an, uh, a deal with the NBA acquire, acquire game use jerseys. He was not one that was like high up on the chart to get a game worn jerseys for. So the only way that we could have gotten a jersey from him was at the All Star game. Not that he was an All Star, not that he was at any competition. But he partaked in the competition that believe in the slam dunk contest or the three-point shooting contest and we asked for that jersey to get the nut jersey patches for that card well lo and behold we never got it and cards got made so what happened was that there's 225 of every other rookie besides the team six players and there's 225 of kyle corver and there's the jersey parallel number 26 his number was 26 on the philadelphia 76 at the time so in fact, when we hand packed it, we actually pulled out every single LeBron, every single Carmelo, including the gold parallels, and we combined the Kyle Corvers to actually seed in with the LeBron and the Carmelo Anthony. So that's that's why I knew when we when we pulled all the LeBrons out, we had 99 of the LeBrons, we had 23 of the golds, we had 99 of the Carmelos, and we had 15. And then there was our remaining Kyle Corver cards left, and we combined them with other patch rookies. But so 
if you got Kyle Corver in your pack, you're pretty happy. If you got Kyle Corver in your pack, you're happy because you know that LeBron James was soon to follow in that same package of cards. And as right. you said earlier, like let's just be clear, if in case anyone couldn't hear that, originally in 2003, 2004, when this product was released, a pack of this stuff was $500 US. I know I say US because I'm also in, I'm also Canadian. So, uh, but that was you know that was a lot of money at the time for a pack of cards. When previous to that, the highest amount that we paid in the hobby for a pack of cards was maybe $150 for a, a product like an Ultimate Collection, another high-end upper deck brand. Exquisite came out a couple years after Ultimate had had debuted, and it came out at a price point that was like three times the previous highest price highest price per pack product in our hobby. And it was revolutionary at the time. And I feel like, you know, in Carbon, you can maybe corroborate this. But at the time, it was likely very risky for you guys to do that because that hadn't ever been tested before. And uh, but but now we know in hindsight, you know, 17 years later, that product is now across all sports. In hockey, it's called the cup. But in basketball, football, it's called uh, it's come out under the exquisite brand. But it's basically the highest end product that Upper Deck puts out every year. Um, and that they that they did when they had their basketball license. They no longer have that license. Now Panini makes basketball, so they have their own brands, and and that just is what it is. Um, anything else, Carvin, sort of about, you know, I, I want the viewers to get an understanding that, you know, people that aren't in the hobby that saw these headlines, you know, you see all sorts of commentary on online on the internet, like uh, who pays $1.8 million for a, a picture of another dude, stuff like that. And that's why I think it's important to, I mean, we all in the hobby, all of us guys, we always joke around about our, uh, within, amongst ourselves that, you know, it's just, it's just cardboard. We're just buying cardboard and pictures of other guys on them. But really there's so much more to it than that. We are, it's a way to connect with history. It's, and it's a way to really monetize these players that are, that are cultural phenomenons and so important to society. And, you know, a guy like LeBron James, I mean, I don't know him personally, quite obviously, but what he's done in his community to me is is so important and uh, really makes him just such an such a great human being. Uh, I can't say enough about him in terms of the school that he's opened, putting people through it, and really elevating his community in Akron, Ohio. I I, I think he's just an amazing person, and I wouldn't uh, you know there's no player that I'd like to see command 1.8 million dollars for their rookie card probably then LeBron James. And I'm a hockey guy first. So that's saying a lot for me, considering, um, you know, basketball is sort of my second favorite sport to to collect and to watch. But uh, okay, so Carvin, anything else sort of about the history of the card to just give the viewers a little bit more context or information from you? Because, you know, in my mind, again, you conceptualize this product. If you didn't do that, we wouldn't be reading this headline, these headlines over the last couple of days. Anything else you, you want to add to it before we kind of switch focus a little bit? No, not really. Let's, let's switch focus and we can always go back to here and, and discuss more about the concept and the ideas behind everything. And some of it will be the true rookie card versus the parallel. Yeah. YouTube, yeah. Okay, Carvin, thanks. And we're going to get to that. Josh, hold on one more sec before we get to you because I just want to welcome the viewers. We've got quite a few people watching right now. And I just want to thank everybody for tuning in again. If you're new to Sports Cards Live, welcome to the show. This is episode number 31. I'll explain it later, but episode number 30 actually comes out on Wednesday because uh, this was a last minute show and I didn't renumber them. 
There are all the historical episodes are in the library on the YouTube channel, Sports Cards Live. Please feel free to go and subscribe to the channel. Lots of industry insiders have been my guests so far as well, some amazing collectors. So lots of really great uh, episodes there. They are long, so bite them off in, in, in chunks. YouTube will always remember where you left off. Um, also, before we bring Josh, we start talking with Josh. Josh has his YouTube channel. It's called, it's called Cardboard Chronicles. And it's one of my inspirations, actually, when I created this show. So check that out. He has a, he has really in-depth interviews with collectors. They go about an hour long. Um, I've watched several of them more than once. So that's just the level of hobbyist that I am. But uh, okay, so Josh, again, welcome to the show. Thank you for waiting so patiently. I do appreciate it. Let's talk about it. So listen, I mean, this card that just sold is numbered out of 23. It's a parallel to the true rookie card. The true rookie card, it looks the exact same, except it's numbered out of 99. And I think the foil accents are a little bit of a different color. You own, you are the very proud owner of one of the one of the copies out of 99. And what can you, I mean, let's talk about that. First of all, talk a bit about the card you own. When did you buy it? Where did you buy it? Um, and anything else, I'm not going to ever ask you to talk about financials, but if you're willing to share that information, please do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I've been collecting cards for a few years, and I've been fortunate enough to collect the right players and, and make some money along the way. And I got to a point last year, I'd say about this time last year in the summer, I had built up a pretty decent-sized collection of things that I enjoyed, and I thought, you know, maybe it's time for me to make a run at an RPA because uh, I, I, my collection's focused on LeBron, so I figured I might as well go all out and see if I can actually get one. You know, I, I felt like the window was kind of closing on painting one, so I... I went for it and there was a few auctions coming up in the end of last year. Uh, there was one on Heritage and then there was two on Golden. So I knew I was going to try to target one of those. Um, and then I ended up getting the one on Golden Auction, which is the same auction house that sold last night for the, uh, or yesterday for the, the 23 parallel. Um, and mine was a BGS 8. I actually have it with me. Oh, cool. Um, so I got mine for 193,000. It's, uh, you know, it's public knowledge. It was on Golden's website. The one that sold a few weeks before this was a Heritage BGS nine. And it was like basically a one color patch sold for 264,000. And that was just out of my range. I think I, I was looking at it, trying to get it for about 200. Um, so this one fell right into my range and I, you know, I won the bid that night and, it was pretty insane. So I, I ended up having to sell off a lot of cards. I had spent two to three months prior to that selling cards in preparation to try to make a run at it. And, you know, I'd sold some pretty high profile Michael Jordan cards, Kobe Bryant. I sold a LeBron ultimate collection that you referred to earlier. I had one of those. I sold that for, for quite a bit of money leading up to it. I had sold a bunch of refractors. I probably sold like 50 to 60 cards to try to obtain this. And so, so yeah. So, so you actually, and you're a guy who uh, has talked on your show quite a bit about consolidating the collection. And what you mean by that is, you know, really shrink your collection. If you've got a hundred cards in your collection, maybe, maybe you want to shrink down to say 30, sell 70 off and buy one type of thing. And that sounds to me like that's kind of what you did. And you were pretty um, open about it on Instagram and other places saying, Hey guys, I'm selling these cards, but you didn't tell anybody what you were up to, which was very <laughs> smart to limit the competition. But all of us, you know, in the Instagram card community, we kind of saw what you were doing. You were selling off these cards, as you mentioned, some of them just now, because you were basically 
doing a you're doing your your own personal GoFundMe, right? Like let's just let's go fund me by selling my own cards, put together two hundred thousand dollars so that I can go buy one of the most important cards that exists. So now that you've and, and when did you buy that card? What was the the so month? This was like December tenth, twenty nineteen. So you've only had this card for about seven or eight months. Yeah, and. We, you know, we being the three of us in the room here and, and many of the viewers that are watching right now, we know what's happened in general in our hobby over the last six months. That's the, the values of cards across the board have, I won't just say gone up. They, in many cases, they have skyrocketed. Yeah. So, I mean, you now hold this card and you, you know, I don't know the one has sold since you bought yours or since that one for $260,000 sold, but what is your personal opinion right now on, you know, what do you think your card is worth right now? And I have an idea. Maybe maybe I should say mine first so you're not kind of putting a value on your own card type of thing. But I have an idea where I think your card is worth now. And a lot of it is based on what just happened with yeah. the gold RPA parallel out of 23 that just sold for $1.845 million. Because what happens in the hobby is that when a, a, a new record is broken or set, it it drags up all the cards with it and it, it it elevates the values of all the other cards and what i mean by other cards are rookie cards of the same player from sets that are maybe not as high end or less they're just lower on the the scale of you know the different brands because every year we get say 20 different brands for for basketball so a lebron james and i don't know the exact number but he's got at least 20 different rookie cards and the one that Josh has out of 99 is the number one rookie card that that he that LeBron has. When the gold sells for 1.845 million, which isn't even a true rookie card, and we can get into whether it is or isn't or how we feel about that and how the hobby evolves over time. But the fact that the gold sold for so much, in my opinion, that has to it has to impact the value of all the other LeBron James rookie cards. So you have that one there. You bought it for $194,000 in December, 196, whichever it was. What's it worth now? I mean, I got a guess. Do you want me to put my guess out there before you put yours? Or uh, what do you think? I mean, yeah, it's, it's a tough question for me to, yeah, I'd rather, I'd rather you go first. Okay. Okay. And I don't mind doing that. I think that's fair. I think that, I think that your card has at least, and it's not just because of the gold that just sold It's because of what's been going on in the hobby really for the last, I mean, we could say the last month, the last three months, the last six, it's been the last year, but we've seen a, a lot of increase in the last few months here. I think your card is worth about triple what you paid for it. I, I think there's no reason why your card isn't worth 700 to seven, about seven to 750 would be my guess of what it's worth. And that's just, that's just me. I'm a, I'm a 40 year collector veteran who's been following the market ever since we could follow the market, you know, when the internet came around we could actually watch eBay and other sources of value indication. Um, that's my personal guess is that it's got to be worth triple. Um, am I in sort of, you know, and you don't have to say what you think, but am I in the ballpark of what you think? Yeah. My, my initial guess is like seven fifty something like that. Yeah. Okay. So, so we're, we're actually bang on. We're, we're, we're exact and exact in the same spot. And, and I know it's hard to really articulate how I come up with that or why I think triple, but it's really because of what I've seen going on in other cards. And it's, you know, what we do in this hobby is we draw parallels between, you know, one player card, player's card and another player's card. If a player's card has gone up 50% in the last six months, 
but the other player's card we don't know because there haven't been sales, you can almost draw some parallels and, and come up with a, a bit of a guess, a guesstimate as to what a card will be worth. So, Josh, do you think that that the true RPA, the card that you own out of 99, do you think that it should actually command more value than the, the gold parallel out of 23? And it's a weird question because the one out of 23 is much more rare. It's It's four times as rare, but it doesn't carry that rookie card designation do you think that that it that either the gold one should carry the rookie card designation or do you feel that the rookie card should be worth more i think i value them about the same you know because the gold's four times as rare but the the out of 99 is kind of you know as you said designated as the true art as the true rookie so i would actually kind of weight them the same one being much more rare and then sort of like evening itself out by the fact that it's not the true so I think the I think the gold actually historically sells maybe a little bit higher depending on on when you look at uh, timelines and how you match up sales close to each other, um, but I think if it were me, I would prefer the ninety nine. Just if I had to choose, it's just the true one, and, and I kind of almost like put them in a row of one hundred and twenty two of them. Like they're they're the gold foil doesn't stand out so much that you notice the difference. It's just, you know, one's out of 23 and the other's out of 99. So I guess it's kind of just personal preference. So I would probably, I think most collectors would just kind of, you know, they wouldn't be too picky over which of the two they, they could have. I think if you're a collector who's making the decision between the one out of 99 or the one out of 23, you, uh, you know, you're just happy that you're able to make that decision in, in any case. Right. And right. I hear what you're saying. And I do agree with you. I think uh, myself that I think, I, I think that, the the gold, I see no reason why it couldn't be considered a rookie card. It, it has all the same attributes as the one out of ninety nine. However, the one the reason why ninety nine is such a key number in the hobby is that a long time ago it was sort of decided by um, I would almost say consensus, but really I think uh, Beckett Magazine sort of took the lead on this. They were the you know Beckett uh, publishes a price guide for every sport every month and they've been doing it really since about 1984 and again i'll mention dr james beckett who started the company it will be my guest on this show on wednesday so come back and watch that everybody if you are interested in that um and to me he's the most iconic name in the hobby outside of all the athletes um but you know they they sort of came up with this rule that in order for a card to get the rookie card designation it had to be first of all widely available meaning not a restaurant type card or a card you'd get through mail in. It had to be widely available in the hobby. It had to have no less than 100 copies made. And I think they just made an exception for 99 being a bit of a, let's call it a sexier number. And it had to be a, a card that was pulled out of a pack. You couldn't mail in for it. You, could, you, know, there were, you couldn't get it at, a, at, a, at a, a, an arena giveaway or that kind of thing. It had to come out of a pack from a hobby product. So it's really important. And I, I think it is an important thing that the rookie cards, there has to, it has to be widely available. And and a hundred was that number that was deemed to be, or 99 deemed to be widely available. Mm -hmm. So that's why the one out of 23 isn't considered to be a true rookie card. But like Josh just said, if you line them all up, you've got now 122 of these things, they all look the same. So what's really the difference? And should one be worth more than the other as a collector? And I'm a, I'm a true collector. I would personally want the one out of 99 because I am a true rookie card collector. However, I do love rookie year cards. And so, you know, 
and for the case of LeBron, I just take whichever one's cheaper because to me they're 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 very similar. Any sort of further thoughts on that, Josh? Then I want to carve and then after Josh goes, I want to hear from you a little bit about your thoughts on that because you know you're a guy who's making these cards and you're working within these constraints. But Josh, anything else before we go to Carbon? I mean, one of the reasons I wanted the card so badly, and you know, a big shout out to Carbon who's here because of that, is I really love the history of the RPA. And this one kind of being the first one for basketball and it being led by LeBron and, and even hearing from you like that you chose it because of LeBron makes it even just like that much more strong of a emotional attachment for me. But like the 99 number carrying through all the way to today and like the RPA being held intact the way it is with national treasures and the 99 always being that sort of true rookie is a very strong draw for me. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like contenders football and top scrum basketball. It's just like you like to see that sort of lineage and uh, and history going back. So the 99 for me, just like, you know, he doesn't there's not like a 23 RPA that goes on in history. It's just like 99 is the one that sticks. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And what you're I think what you're getting at when you talk about, you know, that the 99 number is stuck through till today being 17 years later in the highest end products, we still see rookie cards numbered to 99. It's kind of known that yeah. those are the best card, the best cards of a player when it's numbered to 99. It has a, a, a patch from a game used or a, a game or a, a player worn jersey and it has an autograph on it really important stuff but i think what you're almost getting at josh is that you're talking about the brand equity really yeah. the importance of the brand in the hobby and the the importance of the exquisite brand which carvin conceptualized back in the early 2000s it can't be understated for the hobby if you're out there watching right now and you do not and you're just thinking oh some lebron james card just sold for 1.8 million dollars these people are crazy well you don't you don't have the whole picture because this is the most important card out of all the LeBron James cards that were made in his rookie year. And there were several made in his rookie year. I, I don't know the number of rookie cards he has. Josh, you probably know. How many different rookie cards does he have? I don't know, a lot, thousands. <laughs> yeah, like thousands made and probably between different parallels and everything. He's probably got a hundred different rookie card or rookie card parallels. And this is the most important one. And it's the only yeah. one really that is has a piece of game use patch in it. So really... You know, people pay a lot of money for game more memorabilia. This has a piece of that of a jersey that he wore in a, in an actual NBA game embedded in that card. Really gets you close to the game. Plus, he held the card and he put his autograph on it, which makes it all that more important. So, yeah, I agree, Josh. The equity that is that lives in the brand of Exquisite and you know, SP Authentic is another brand that's been out since Upper Deck. You know, since the early '90s when Upper Deck first got started. Um, those brands have serious equity where, and just to contrast that with, with brands that don't have equity, sometimes the card companies put out a brand for one or two or three years, and then it goes away and you may not see it ever again, or you may see it, or there's brands that only come out for one year and they're gone forever. Those, they have their place in the market, but they, not when it comes to a rookie card and a rookie card collector, rookie card collectors tend to want a card from a set that will continue on for a while, thereby continuing to nurture and build on it's the equity that lives within that brand, the intangible equity in that brand. So, okay, awesome. So Carvin, you know, as a guy, you're now you're working at Upper Deck during this time, you're, you're tasked with creating this brand and really designing it, building it out. How, how did you guys even come up with the idea to put up, to put out this gold parallel? What, what, how, whose idea was that? How did you come up with that? And were there any other constraints that you had to kind of work within? 
well, there's always constraints, no matter how, when, when you put, build a product. The, the idea of 99, and this goes, you know, remember at the time I was also working on hockey a lot and being Canadian, I guess I'm, it's part of my heritage, uh, working on hockey. And in hockey, what you do have is set collectors. Basketball, you don't have site collectors much. It's more player collector, obviously, with free agency and all that. It affects it and more and more players. But when, whenever, at that time when I was building a set, I still want to set and a, a tough set. There was a challenge set to put together, but there were a lot of exquisite set collectors when it first came out. So aside from people breaking the product, a lot of people were buying up the 99s or buying up the 225s, and you're doing full set of 42 base cards and 42 rookies. I believe there's 84 cards in total. And they were doing sets. And at the time, at the time, maybe even three, four years after the fact, there are people that have master sets. Now, today, obviously, a lot of those have been sold multiple times and got into collector's hands. Um, but that's the whole idea of the 99. And in fact, if I recall properly, I always got into arguments with, with some people about this, but even three, four years after Exquisite was released, the 23 was actually trading below the 99 at that time because people were trying to chase down the cars to complete their set. They didn't want to pay LeBron. When LeBron first hit the marketplace, after the launch of Exquisite, it was $2,300. And then the off season went down to as low as $1,900, $1,800. And then it jumped back up to over 3000 So that's that's crazy how where it was in 2004 and 2005. And and a lot of times the, the 23 was kind of forgotten a bit. And then all of a sudden, about seven, eight years later, and I was saying, well, the 99 is worth more than the 23. Like, have you looked at any auctions lately? And I looked at it, okay, well, now the 23s have taken over. And the whole reason with 23 is that one thing of note that, yes, there were there were six, there's three Logo Man cards in Exquisite. So tell tell the viewers what, what a Logo Man card is. Okay, so the, the Logo Man is actually the logo on, now it's in the back of the jersey, but it's the Jerry West logo with the NBA logo, and it's a full logo uh, on the card. Now, we didn't put rookie logo man's and exquisite i don't think we've ever had put rookie logo man's and exquisite we did duels we did dual sign logo man's we did triples but we didn't do a rookie variation of the logo man it's mainly because ultimate collection had that card so we didn't want the exquisite to have the logo man because it's going to cannibalize the ultimate and no one's going to want to open the ultimate collection mm -hmm. and i believe in hockey for the cup we never had shield rookie variations i think only recently it's happened but in my tenure at Upper Deck, we never had it because we didn't want upsetting the ultimate rookie shield because that was the number one card in the hobby. So it's in actually a subpar brand, not the exquisite brand. Everything else in exquisite is outstanding, but it didn't have that one trump card. So in terms of just doing by jersey numbers, and for some reason, I don't know why, I have a fascination with jersey numbers. That's why the cup has jersey numbers. I have exquisite numbers, which is based on jersey numbers because numbering things to 25, 50, and 100 gets kind of... And when you're trying to develop product, it gets kind of like, oh, all right, that's easy, 25, 50, 100, or 99. It's, it's the same numbers, right? So doing the jersey numbers, yes, it's a lot of micromanaging, telling the printers, hey, you can only do 33 of this card, number them properly. Um, but, you know, I tried to replicate the precious metal gems in, in basketball, and it was like, it was always messed up. The first 10 weren't green, it was only 10, and then the first, the next, all one to 100 was red. I'm like, no, it has to be one to 10, one out of 100 to... 10 of 100 is green, and then 11 on. It was just like confusing. So um, that does play a factor um, in, into the chase. So in this case, if you are a low number, like for example, with Zion Williamson, 
it would have been a one one of one, right? Because if you were number one, had it been a guy like um, double zero, anyone with a double zero, I usually number to a hundred, so it actually becomes a really high number. Um, but you know, there was also a guy, a big collector at the time, uh, and I met him in two thousand six at one of the Diamond Club meetings, and he was actually chasing all the all the goals, and he had the last number of the golds. Obviously, all those were all moved off. Um, like probably about 10 years ago, but he actually had the D Wade, he had the Chris Bosch, the 404, the 303. He was missing only about four or five cards, and they were all number three or less. Like Troy Bell was one of them. Um, I think Nikhil Pietras out of two was another one. He was missing and the one of one. He was just missing five cards, but he had all the big cards. So that is the ultimate set collector, right? It's it's almost going back to Titanium and Ty Conklin being number one and and Edmonton for that titanium set number to jersey number. And, I, you know, I I grew up in that era of the 90s card, so I remember some of that stuff. And I was like, okay, well, let's bring it to Exquisite, but it's just with an auto and a patch, too. Right. So so, so what, what what he's talking about there, everybody, is that, you know, there were, there were some sets that came out in the very late 90s, early 2000s, where there were what there were cards that were seated that were numbered to the player's jersey, just like we talked about with these gold LeBrons. So if a player wore 18, there were 18 cards made for him, for that player. And there was a couple sets that seemed to somehow get around this this uh, minimum hundred rookie card uh, copies of the card to be a rookie card, and kind of slipped through and got that rookie card designation. And I think that's what you're saying, Carvin, that really sort of interested you, uh, and you brought that to to the highest end product being ex- exquisite. And uh, and I do agree, it does help shake things up a little bit instead of having cards always numbered to a hundred or fifty or twenty five or or ten, uh, which which is obviously quite rare you mentioned the logo man's and i asked you to clarify but just to clarify a bit further what the logo man is that little little guy it sounds about this big on the player's jersey and you guys when you're when you're cutting up the jerseys to put them into cards you save that little piece and that piece is considered to be the best you know square inch of 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 fabric within that whole jersey and that because it's got the whole nba logo on on it that's what we call the logo man and that card, that piece gets embedded into a card and they make it a one of one because, hey, there's only the one jersey and there's only the one little logo man on it. And they put that in, they call it a one of one. And that's really where this hobby is, has gone. Not recently. This is this is already a good 15 years old type of thing where we're seeing a lot of one of ones in the hobby, which might make you think, well, then why is a card out of 23 worth so much? Or why is a card out of 99 worth so much? And the reason is because different cards are just of, an, of different importance. And because the more people that can chase a card, oftentimes, the more people that can chase a card, the more value you will see out of that card because supply and demand, right? And Josh, I see you nodding, must ring a bell. Something you, you feel to add on to that, Josh, just to help uh, clarify me or you just... No, yeah, I think like when you have a logo, man, most people probably just like throw up their arms and say, you know, I'm not going to... I'm not going to even bother trying to get that. Whereas a 99, you know, conceptually, that's a, a decent enough number where you feel you can go after it. So like you said, the demand of the number of people that can, uh, you know, reasonably get that card goes up quite a bit. And I think the other side to it of it is that owning something that is attainable for others is pretty attractive. Like if I have the only logo, man, other people might just be like, yeah, whatever you have it, like, it's almost like a jealousy thing. Nobody else can have it. But if you have something that a community can work towards and a community can have as one, I think there's a lot of meaning to that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It, back to sort of what I said, that the more people that want it and can can attain it, the more attractive it is in the hobby overall. 
and uh, and it's it is still part of a set. We do still have set collectors in this hobby, but most people really pick and choose the cards that they want uh, from various sets, and they they basically define what a set is to them in their own in their own personal way, which is what I love about this hobby. We all approach it so differently, um, and that's what really does keep it quite interesting. Okay, that's some good stuff, guys. Um, you know, I always, uh, one of the traditions on the show is I go through the comments that people are posting and I, uh, I welcome people to the show and we have a great viewership tonight. So again, thanks everybody. If you are new to the show, thank you for coming. Thank you to Josh and Carvin for bringing new viewers to the show. I greatly appreciate that from both of you. Um, so thank you. And if you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel for Sports Cards Live, I'd greatly uh, appreciate if you consider doing so. And of course, uh, go check out Cardboard Chronicles as well, Josh's channel, just like it says on his uh, name tag there. And follow both of these guys on Instagram. Carvin, you can see on the ticker right now, is at Carvin15. And Josh is Cardboard underscore Chronicles. So if you're not already following these guys, go ahead and do so. Uh, much more hobby insight there. Let's just say hello to some of the viewers while we're while we're uh, kind of doing that. And uh, all right, Sam, if you're still here, welcome to the show. Steve, welcome. Ziggy, welcome. Steve, it was epic. I'm not going to read them all here. Frankie, welcome. Name, welcome. We got some, uh, uh, hey, Carvin from an anonymous Facebook user. Uh, personal Finance Dad, another excellent, excellent uh, YouTube channel, the Personal Finance Dad. Guys, check that out. He talks about all sports and um, investing in cards. Jeremy Rolodex is insane with these interviews. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm very honored to have both of these gentlemen join me today. Thank you so much. Paul, good evening. Al, welcome. Steve again. Uh, Bruce says to Carvin, how are you doing, man? Hope you're well. Yamwax, I'm hearing from non-card buddies about the LeBron RPA sale. It's big time, right? That's exactly it. I mean, I've been in this hobby my whole life. Everyone in my life knows I'm in this hobby. And I probably heard from, I think, you know, uh, close to 18 or 20 people yesterday saying, did you see what happened? I'm like, of course I saw what happened. Like if anyone saw what happened, I saw what happened, you know? So, but it's just really cool. And, you know, here, I'm going to do this right now. I'm going to show you guys. Uh, I've just called, I've called up on a share screen here. Just some of the, some of the different places that have picked this, this story up. So this here is, um, this is the NBA's website, you know, look right there. LeBron James rookie card sold for $1.8 million at auction on the NBA's website. This is CNN. CNN was showing it here themselves. LeBron James trading card sold for $1.8 million. This is, um, this is USA Today, made the, made the USA Today. Here we have taken a second to load, but this is uh, the New York Post. <laughs> and it looks like it changed pages on me. So the New York Post had an article about this. Uh, as did TMZ. That just I love how exciting they make their, their headlines. Fetches 1.8 million at auction, most expensive ever. Well, that's the most expensive modern day card ever sold, beating the record of the Mike Trout card that just sold in May for 923,000. But as a hobby, we have seen cards sell for over $3 million, being the Honus Wagner T206 card from 1909. And I'm sure there's been private sales that have exceeded these numbers as well that we just don't know about. But we've seen Mickey Mantle sell, I believe, up to maybe up to $3 million for a PSA 10, which is a gem mint copy. And the 52 Tops Mickey Mantle is kind of the a card that defines this hobby to a lot to a large degree. Although I can see the LeBron exquisite card being a new uh, uh, sort of sharing that status. We also had uh, Fox News featured, featured this sale uh, today, as did this one coming up is... 
the BBC. I thought that was interesting. The BBC reported on this. So did this one here. This is just take a second to load up. I have all these. Uh, the US. Yeah. The oh, the Today Show. The Today Show. So actually, we're gonna play this for you guys. This is about thirty seconds long. I mean. What goes through your mind when you watch these ladies talk about this card? Give it a watch. LeBron James shattered another record this weekend. Well, actually, his trading card did at least. The 2003 autographed rookie card from Upper Deck features a piece of a game jersey, a game-worn jersey. It sold for more than $1.8 million at auction. That's the highest amount ever paid for a basketball card. Only 23 of these cards were ever produced, but this one in particular is believed to be in the best condition. So, I mean... Uh, how how awesome is that? The Today Show. Well, let me just close that. In the line of duty, made sure his release from the hospital would be a moment he would never forget. Okay, stop sharing. There we go. All right, sorry about that. So, how amazing is that? Where the ladies on the Today Show are talking about a basketball card? Like, what do you guys? Let's start with you on this card. Well, you're having to say, Josh. We'll, Carmen, we'll start with you. What impact do you think this has? on our hobby when you're seeing it getting all this mainstream attention and the ladies on uh, the, the morning show are talking about it to their audience. And I'm not gonna claim to know who their audience is, but I think we all have an idea that their audience are people that are you know, watching TV in the morning. What does that do? What does that do? Well, it's gonna create even more collectors coming into the hobby at this moment. Now, it doesn't mean that there's going to be more people buying LeBron James. But there's going to be more people buying basketball cards or sports in general. I think that's that's the main thing. It, it's, it's hitting a different audience. You know, we, we always thought about our little hobby, you know, it's kind of like niche market and all that. Well, it's getting mainstream and it's gotten mainstream these last six months to a year and it's gotten a lot bigger now. So we're going to we're going to continue to see, you know, more and more collectors come in. And that's a great thing for the hobby, you know. Yeah. Becoming more and more mainstream. Yes. Yeah. No. I th I, I agree. I think you're right. I think it's going to attract more attention. And you know, you kind of said at the beginning of your statement that you know we're kind of the small niche little hobby, almost to the point where some collectors. I've heard collectors say, you know, you almost don't admit it in your in your social circles that you collect cards to a lot of people. It's it's kind of like this thing that we might be. Uh, and I've never felt this way. I've always talked about it, but I know a lot of people are a little bit embarrassed. You don't want to admit that you collect cards. I've seen comments on some of the threads in on various social platforms over the last couple of days where people are responding to say a sports center posting about this saying people still collect cards. Well, people still collect cards. People invest in cards. People invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in cards right there. People invest $1.8 million into cards. You know, Collectors like myself, we have significant money tied up into our collections. We love them. We can, you know, we're collectors, but by virtue of owning cards that are valuable, we, whether we like it or not, we become investors as well. Josh, your, your turn at that. What do you kind of, any, any sort of take on, you know, all this coverage, the Today Show, um, you know, I mean, how many people did you hear from when yeah. this card, uh, when this was announced? I probably got same as you. I think I got like 15 to 20, 25, something like that messages from people I hadn't heard in a while or people that want to be my friend now, you know, 
uh, jokingly, but you know, some people are like, "Don't you have? Don't you have that card?" And I, you know, I have to explain that I have the '99, and you know, mine's lower condition, so it's not two million. But you know, I do have I do have the card, and uh, so I did get a lot of uh, text messages about that. And I think most people were seeing like the ESPN notifications on their phone because ESPN pushed a notification through their mobile app. So I think a lot of my friends saw it that way. And I, I've got friends in fantasy football circles and um, different like sports that it just sort of caught their attention, obviously, and they know that I'm involved in it. So I, you know, I definitely got a lot of that. And as far as like the media coverage, I think it's great. You know, it's fun. It's fun for us to kind of get some recognition and taken more seriously as a, as a larger hobby. And like Carvin said, we've been growing pretty rapidly already. And this is just putting more fuel to the fire. It's just like, you know, people, some people are talking about, well, maybe there's a bubble coming, but uh, I mean, <laughs> this is not going to help that bubble situation. I don't think that, I mean, it's just going to make the bubble bigger maybe and make it pop harder. But I, you know, uh, more people are going to be coming into the hobby. Now there's more eyeballs on it. There's more seriousness around it. You know, there's more people that have serious money that are involved that um, kind of give it more, uh, you know, um, credibility. So I think we're just going to keep seeing the growth. Yeah, more more of that mainstream credibility. I agree. And more of the credibility for these these assets actually being considered assets by the investment community. There's all sorts of talk about there being institutional money, putting together funds to uh, to, to put into sports cards and to really like sell shares like you would in, in any sort of uh, investment portfolio or company for that matter, I suppose, yeah. um, you know, which kind of brings us to the the buyer of this card. Uh, this buyer is the name of the buyer has been out there. It's uh, he's a gentleman. He's an entrepreneur from San Francisco. Um, and uh, his name is uh, Lior uh, Avidar, I believe. And uh, he is he's, you know, like I said, an entrepreneur from San Francisco who bought the card. I mean, I don't know exactly why. But, you know, likely nobody spends $1.8 million without considering the investment. You know, that's investment type money. No one spent, no one puts out that kind of money into anything without it being somewhat of an investment for them. So whether or not he's going to, and he's alluded a little bit that he's got some special plans for this card and, you know, something new for the hobby. So we don't know exactly what it is, but there's been speculation out there. So, so why not speculate, right? There's been some speculation that, He's going to build some sort of fund and maybe sell shares in this card or do something like that or pair it with some other cards and maybe do a $5 million fund. I'm totally pulling that out of the air. I've got no one, no, that's just my own full out speculation. But it's interesting because if that is the fact and if this is going to become part of an investment portfolio that will be rolled out in a professional manner that is subject to the regulations of other investment types. So, you know, where the SEC is actually involved and, and has regulatory authority over an investment uh, product like that. Well, all of a sudden, I think, you know, what's going to happen to the, the regular collectors like us that have, you know, a collection of some cards that are valuable? You know, are we going to see a, a, a serial? Like, is this just the beginning of the growth is what I'm obviously, I'll admit, sure, I'm hoping for that. Do I expect it? No, I, I don't expect it but if it happens i'll be pleasantly surprised but is that a direction that we could see this going in josh do you do you think and i mean you know you obviously have some significant money tied up in your collection what are your thoughts on that um i wanted to make a quick point when you were talking about people shocked at like buying 
spending $2 million on a card. There's people that put their money in the stock market and you literally have nothing. It's just, you're, you're buying air. Like you're buying like ownership in a company, but you don't actually physically have anything. Whereas something like this, I actually feel like I have stock in someone I consider to be a hero and I actually have a piece of something that he's touched. So it's like, a, it's a lot more connective to it. Uh, are we going to see things related to funding? I, I believe so. I mean, sports are like the modern day cultural phenomenon for our, for, for our society today. They are our like real superheroes. We don't, we don't have actual superheroes. Those are from comics. These are actual people that we look up to and, and are, you know, kids heroes and stuff. So to see them culturally ingrained in our society as they are and to not, and to be surprised by the fact that we can invest in that, it, it doesn't surprise me at all. So I really don't see why we wouldn't get to that point eventually. And it seems like the owner of this card already has plans for something like that. So I think it's coming for sure. Okay. And like, like you said, you know, when we buy these cards, you know, you said it kind of makes you feel like you, you're invested in the player, the, the heroes. And what I, the way I sort of look at it, it's very similar. I sort of look at it like these players, they almost represent us. You know, if, if the player plays for your favorite team or they play for the team in the city that you live in, that and let's face it, we are very proud of our of our cities and our teams when they win a championship or they win a game, even on any given night. We're proud of that, right? There you go. The Raptors win the the championship, and we wear the clothes. Everybody, not everybody, but most people, many people do. Like how many people don't in Toronto don't have a Toronto Raptors hat or shirt right now? Like everybody does. So it by buying that shirt, you're connected to the event. By buying a card, you're connected to that player. And if that's your favorite player, that's a player that you respect. If you look up to him, and some people look up to players, I mean, it, that's that might that, and that's fine. But the way I look at it is they represent us and they represent a lot of people. So the more popular players demand more money because they represent more people. More people are enamored by them. More people love watching them on TV, love watching the highlights. And that's what it is. We're investing in the player. And the only way to invest in a player, unless you own a professional sports franchise, which only what, like 100 people do, the only way to invest in a player is through these cards. And what we've seen a lot of in the last few months is that, you know, with the pandemic going on, people that have discretionary income are not spending it on travel. That's a big one. They're not spending it on other luxury goods because why if you're just staying home all the time? But maybe the biggest one is they're not gambling on sports and how many people want to bet on the game. And if you bet on the game, you know, it's either win, it's either win it all or lose it all. There's no middle ground. Whereas with the card and Josh, Josh, he's nodding away because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking to yourself, if LeBron James doesn't win the championship this year, or if he doesn't go down as one of the greatest players of all time, which he's already going down as, so that doesn't count for that card, but cards in general, you still have something tangible that you can hold on to and you can still sell it and get some money for it. You may, you may lose, but you're not like when you bet it on a game and you lose all your money and then you're depressed and you wish you never gambled in the first place and all that. Not to say there isn't gambling that goes in, on in our hobby, it does. But when you buy a card like that, you are invested in the player. It gets you as close to the game as you can really get without being on the court. And I use the term over and over again, but you're investing in the player. And it's, you know, these players are cultural phenomenons. 
at this point in our history. So I certainly, Carvin, what do you, uh, your, any sort of, any sort of thoughts on that Carvin from your perspective? Cause I just want to give the viewers a bit more information on you. You started out in the hobby as a guy who was buying and selling cards, a card chosen. You had a shop in Toronto. You then got hired by Upper Deck and you worked there and you, you helped grow Upper Deck's brands and you, you helped guide them through the hockey licenses and working and basketball and football and baseball for that matter. And then you left Upper Deck and after about six or eight months, I think you went and you started to work for Panini, one of the other big companies in the hobby. They, they have the exclusive license for basketball now. And then you left Panini a few years back, you took a bit of time off, and now you work for uh, one of the, the biggest distribution company for sports cards in the United States called GTS. So you are a guy who's been around the block and that's why I want to have you on. Number one, you created this brand, but you have a, you have a wealth of experience in this hobby. So you have a unique perspective, just like Josh has a unique perspective on this card because he owns the one out of 99. You have a unique perspective because of your experience and your prof your professional experience in the hobby. So from that perspective, what kind of comments can you make on where the hobby is right now? What this and what this card uh, might do to sort of, you know, accelerate that. Right. Well, thanks a lot for number one, aging me. To make you feel really old. <laughs> but uh, second of all, I think one of the things, you know, we, we talk about um, trading cards and, you know, only about 20 or 30 years ago, it was artwork. And there's Japanese investor buying like Van Gogh pieces of art for like $5 million, which was unheard of the sunflower, I believe it was. And now that sunflower is worth like half a billion dollars. So, you know, there is precedent, whether artwork and sports, art. obviously that's a one-on-one masterpiece versus out of 23 LeBron or out of 99 LeBrons. Second of all, I think one of the things that is kind of kind of forgotten, especially in our community and, and in chats, and is the storytelling aspect of it. That's why we always call it the white whale, the Moby Dick of trading cards, trying to find that. For Josh, it was the LeBron James out of 99, finally catching his Moby Dick. Spent a lot of money on it. For, for years after this, you can tell his kids, his grandkids, this is what I had to do. This is what I went through. This is what I had to give up, sacrifice. And it's all about the storytelling. Part of the reason why I think a lot of people want to know more about Exquisite is that there's a lot of things that went in 0304 that all the storytelling, like you know, the hand packing of, of Exquisite, you know, the Kyle Korver and and combining with the LeBron James rookie patch autos that people didn't even know that that happened. And obviously, those are those are the type of things that people always ask about. What stories do you have? And I think you know, chasing a card and you know having that player that you can tell stories about that player. I watched them as a five-year-old that watched him as an eight-year-old greatest player of all time or maybe he was a bust and but at least you can tell that story that well i chased after him and he was a bust and that's why i stole him the card and i never made any money but you had this great story with it and i think that's really important because you know as people we're not we're not just nine to five nine to five go to go to work I, sorry, I have, to, I have to bid on a card on ebay that's ending right away that's my alarm so i'm gonna go buy a card for a second you guys keep chatting Right. So it's, it's, it's the storytelling and it's, uh, it's, it's also the fact that, you know, it's, you, you're able to communicate with people and talk about it. We're not just nine to five people, like straight face, like robots. And, and that's what the hobby is about. You know, it's the community and this community is becoming more and more mainstream and bigger and bigger. And people love hearing the stories, the chase, you know, how did, how did you end up getting Moby Dick or white whale? And I always tell people like when they're collecting, when things are so easy to collect and they finish it within a year or something like that, they don't have appreciation for it. They don't really sit there and say, wow, you know, this is a great set. I finished it in a year. Like, unless you're this 
guy had boatloads of money and bought all the exquisite cards and all all the, the gold parallels but everyone's just chasing like even the guy that had the gold parallels down to five cards he went everywhere looking for the troy bell he was looking for the mikhail pietras out of two because who's going to have those cards around like you know on ebay they're not they're not even worthy of ebay but he was chasing them down so i think those are those are his white whales it was easier to find the Dwayne wade and the chris bosh out of four and three than to find the guys out of one and two or three of the no-name guys yeah that's that's a good point you know we as collectors we will we will search high and low for the cards we want and you know i've been uh hockey co- i've been collecting all sports really since the late 80s but i've been very focused on hockey and i've recently gotten more and more into basketball and i've become more sort of in uh become more a part of the basketball collector community um and really you know it it starts with like watching josh's show going to the national meeting people there i met you briefly there josh i don't even know if you remember and um you know you and, and at the time i remember seeing you and being like okay i've seen this guy's show you know, I'm looking at this guy. I know. Sorry, I'm just going to bid on my card. I'm going to snipe this card right now. All right. I I for you here. Here's I something that I'll show you, okay? This is the first ever I would consider an RPA I ever owned, okay? This is – I got this on the week of joining Upper Deck. And I think Richard McWilliam joined the retirement ceremony of a, of a sumo wrestler in Japan, and he was the first ever non-Japanese Yokozuna. His name is Akibono from Hawaii. Now it's an oversized card. No one cares for oversized card. I actually put it in the window. It's all faded and bleach, but I have this card. And I will keep this card forever because it tells a story of my first week at Upper Deck and getting this card from, I believe, either from Joe Fallon or Tim Murray. Tim Murray was the VP of International, and Joe Fallon was the director of product development. My boss when I went in there, but I got this from them. Uh, sorry, I took it out of the office. I mean, I, you know, it's kind of faded. I don't think there's any value, but there's a lot of value in that storytelling for me. So I, I do have cards. Like I don't own a lot of, I don't own any exquisite cards with, with the exception of like two. Um, I own Chris Bosch rookies because I'm a Raptors fan and I bought those at the National. Um, but just to give you an, another card that I have, and these are just cards that you know you would never even anticipate. Here's a story with this card. So that's a Topps draft day from the photo shoot autograph of Dwight Howard. Now I went to get it graded and it says must go to JSA. Why? Because these cards were never released. Dwight Howard was a, an upper exclusive. However, Tops at the photo shoot gave us the cards to give it to Dwight Howard and Andre Iguodala was the other one, which I also have that card too. And here you go to see it. So that yeah. they can wait to their fans, their families, and all that. And we gave one set to every Tops employee and, and every upper deck employee. So you would never find this in natural circulation. And to be honest, these cards were, were selling for like, I think $3,000, like, you know, maybe four or five years after the fact that when Dwight Howard was a rookie. So about 10, 2008, 2009. But I would never sell it because, once again, it's a story. There's a story associated with this card. And it's a great story to know that, you know, um, in fact, you know, I, I went to, when I met Dwight Howard for the first time when he was 18 years old from Atlanta, gave him a big bro hug and said, Welcome to the team, welcome to the Upper Deck. And he was like, Oh, glad to be there. And then made the mistake of, recognizing his buddy as Sebastian Telfair and it wasn't it was his buddy <laughs> <laughs> so I made my errors too yeah so I mean thanks for that man and you know it, it speaks to what I was going to say before like you know we as collectors we will hunt high and low for the cards that we want and I like that you show your sumo wrestler card because different cards carry different importance right and it's a lot of it is the story which is what you were 
which is why you jumped in there. And a lot of the story is how did we get the card? And now with the advent of, you know, social connectivity and all of us collectors congregating on places like Instagram or Facebook or, you know, fellow YouTube content creators. And then, so we have that constant contact throughout the year. And then we meet, we get together physically, you know, except for this year, except for 2020. And we meet up at these card shows, whether it's the national in Chicago or Cleveland or Baltimore, Atlantic city, or we meet at the, the uh, sports card and memorabilia expo that happens twice a year in Toronto or the big summit show in Edmonton, wherever it is, we get together, we meet each other and we share our stories and we show each other our cards and that becomes part of the story itself. And it's, mm-hmm. it's weird. It's, it's like a, there's pride of ownership. There's, there's community. There's, um, it's weird. Like sometimes when I buy a card and I, I just bought a card a minute ago, live on this show on eBay. And I saw at the last second, I put in my bid and I, I won the card. I put in a big bid, like a big, I put in a, a snipe bid at the very end of the auction. And I won the card. That's part of the story of that card. I'll remember buying that during this show with you guys and all these people watching, talking about the LeBron. Like, that's what a collector is. A collector is someone that associates nostalgia and value and just good memories to an object that we can hold in our hands. And when we own it, we're proud of it and we put it away and we know we have it. We don't look at it every day, but we know we have it, you know, and it's just that's that's just part of being a collector. And there's all this talk in the hobby now about all these investors coming in and are they good for the hobby or bad for the hobby? Well, anything that is moving more cards, more transactional, increasing the, the, the transactional volume, I think is good for the hobby. And, you know, Josh kind of spoke about, are we, is there a bubble happening right now? And is this bubble going to pop and everything's going to come down in value? Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't think any of us know the answer to that. We can't really predict the future, but I think that we are seeing what I have explained before on this show as a, an, a, the floor, the foundation has risen, you know, there's more foundation now to keep this hobby afloat because we're talking about objects that you'll hear people say, well, there's no value. It's just a piece of cardboard. Well, okay, hold on. There is value there. And the reason why I say there's value is because Upper Deck and Panini and Tops they pay licensing fees to the to the leagues and to the players association so that they can use these images. So these images, you can't just go take a picture of a player, put it on a card and sell it out there on a mass scale. And, uh, you know, these cards cost these companies a lot of money to make. They're putting a piece of game worn jersey in there. The player has autographed it. So it's more than just a piece of paper, as some people think. It's a card with a piece of game used jersey. It's rare by by deliberate deliberately. It's rare. It's printed to low number. And it's got the player's autograph. So, you know, all that said, I firmly recognize that you can't eat it. You can't sleep in it. You can't wear it. There's no real utility that these cards provide, but they provide emotional value, nostalgic value, um, cultural value. And that's why collectors like myself and Josh and Carvin's a collector too. That's why we're willing to spend significant amounts of our hard-earned money to buy these things knowing that we're collectors but like i said and this is the investor piece we're also investors if you anytime you're spending an amount of money that is significant to you on a card you have to be comfortable with the fact that you're also investing you you just are whether you want to admit it or like it or not you are investing and that's why it's a continuum right it's a scale collector investor we all fit somewhere on it 
I believe very few people are on the the extreme ends. Most of us are somewhere in the middle. And uh, and that's, again, it speaks to that we all approach this differently and we all assign values to these cards a little bit differently. And it's uh, it's really it's really a cool hobby. If anyone out there is watching and you, you're kind of wondering why, you know, why do people do this? Well, I think we've given you a bit of a, a bit of context as to why we collect and why we're willing to spend a lot of money on it. And now that you see these big dollar figures being thrown out, being being spent and being you know documented, uh, that you know there's this is a real asset. It's a real alternative investment, and that's why we're taught we're hearing talk about institutional money and investment funds and all that sort of thing. So. It's it's just awesome, and the fact that this card smashed the previous record for a modern day card, going from nine hundred twenty three thousand for a Mike Trout card that sold in May to one point eight four five million for a LeBron James card that just sold a couple of days ago, it really speaks to where the the just how many people are assigning major values to these pieces of cardboard that depict these players and sometimes contain pieces of game worn memorabilia and have their that player's autograph on it. Okay, listen, I have not been able to track the questions and comments during this episode, which I usually do. So if you've made a comment or a question and there's a lot of them, um, I'm sorry, I just, well, here, there's a couple of interesting ones. I'm just noticing, it looks like Golden Auctions has been watching and let's see what Golden Auctions says. So Golden Auctions who sold this card says, people love their collections and it makes them happy. Can't tell you how many billionaires I deal with that thank me for allowing them to spend money. Well, that must be Ken Golden, the owner of Golden Auctions. And, you know, to me, that is what, what I really love about that, Ken, is that you say that they thank you for allowing them to spend their money. Because when you have a billion dollars in the bank, what do you buy? Like, you can buy anything you want. You can probably buy a planet, right? Like, what what do you what what do you want to buy? And sports cards are something that they can, it's, it's a, it's a store of value. So you can, you can easily put a million or $2 million into sports cards very easily. You can go to the national in Chicago next, next August, and you can easily go in there and drop $2 million and be able to walk out with those cards in your handbag. Like that's, you know, you'll, you'll maybe, you can walk out with 30 or 40 cards and spend $2 million and you may clean out some of the nicest cards in the room, but that's what you can do. And it's hard to store, it's hard to park that much capital into something that is so awesome. <laughs> First of all, that's so awesome. And second of all, that is an asset. It's a true asset. So that's an interesting comment. Uh, Mr. Golden, thank you for joining uh, and watching and tuning into the show tonight. Really appreciate that. Um, there's tons more comments, uh, you know, here, nineties b-ball card. Jake says, Frankie said it best. Our collections are an investment by consequence. Yes. I completely agree with that. I'm now working from the newest comments and going up guys. So I'm just going to scan through a few of these. Um, Joe Santo says nothing wrong with more money being invested into sports cards and all relevant cards in general, for sure. Ken Golden says, and Bitcoin is just electronic and doesn't even exist. Exactly. That's, and this makes people happy. Yes, I can, you know, there, there's a conversation going on in the comments that I have not been uh, following during this this broadcast, but you know, cards make people happy. When I see a card get listed on eBay or I see it at a card show and I I want that card, I get happy. Like like the chem the happy chemicals just start being produced in my brain and you just get happy no matter what's going on. Even if it's temporary, it's a, it's just a glimmer of happiness. You know, um, Josh, what what was the feeling like for you? 
Take us through when you made your bid for your LeBron James card out of 99. First of all, you you won that auction for 190 something thousand dollars. What what was your maximum bid? Are you willing to tell us that? Well, with Golden Auction, you take the lead on a bid and then you have to hold the lead for 30 minutes. So it's not like a last second snipe scenario. So I actually was the highest bidder and I I you know I had to wait 30 minutes to win. So I I was the high bidder. So then someone passed me and then I was the high bidder again. And then I waited for 30 minutes running around my house. You know, it was, this was late at night too. So my family was sleeping and I was just downstairs, you know, biting my nails and trying to think of other things. But I guess when I won, it was kind of a uh, relief, you know, like the, the process was kind of over and I had finished the journey and, and I'm more of a process guy. Like I, I really like the build up to things and I like the planning of it. And I like everything that goes into it. And the finality of it was just kind of sudden, you know, it's just me at my house on my phone by myself. Like I did it, you know, so it's not, it's not like I won the championship and people are hoisting me up on their shoulders kind of thing. So it's just a bit of relief. And then, you know, owning the card obviously is amazing and everything that goes along with that has been, has been fun. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can just see you, you know, cause it, we can all, everybody watching who's bought cards before, you know, we don't all buy cards for that amount of money, but even when we buy a, a card that's big for us, we have that feeling too. So it's just that maybe it's just a different magnitude when you're spending that kind of money. But I can only imagine when you buy the, bought that card that, you know, and Carvin, from your perspective, man, like my question to you on sort of on the same, uh, the same line of discussion is, you know, when you saw this card sell the other day for $1.8 million, did you feel like your like your child graduated from university or like because this is something you created? Like what was that? Were you proud? Were you like, damn, I wish I would have bought one back in the day? Or like what was your what was what went through your head? What what was the feeling like for you? Well, a few a few feelings. I mean, number one, yes, it, it is like my child. And you know, as everyone might know in the hobby, I'm I'm a pretty old dad, so I have a 20-month-year-old. So I was like, you know, nice, nice to her to maybe see the show in six, seven years and look at the the legacy of what was exquisite collection or maybe he'll be running around she'll be running around the national buying up exquisite cards who knows right what will happen uh with her but either way um number one it, it's great to see it's always nice to see uh number two yes i, I always go back that day that 2005 i was like 1800 i should have bought some that was a big mistake and i went to 10 grand i should have bought some you know i was i didn't have a lot of money disposable income at that time so i just couldn't purchase anything at that time um because I also like hockey too. I like basketball. So, you know, I was looking at buying, you know, cup hockey uh, singles too as well. And then of course there was that one day, the first day when we were in that room, and I remember talking to the person that was helping me hand pack. There's only two of us and we had all the LeBrons. So I'm pretty sure if DNA still sticks in the cards, all those LeBron rookies and all those Carmelo, all the, the three logo man cards, and on top of it, a lot of the one-on-ones that we pulled out we had them all stacked in an office. And because it was kind of like, we want to do this, but no one wants us to do it. There was no security around. There's no security guard. There's nothing. And we were like, I was like, is it like two in the morning, we're leaving the facilities. And I said, man, you know what that stack of cards mean? And he goes, what? I go, we could walk out today, move to the Grand Cayman Islands, open a hotel. <laughs> and we would be just done, right? We don't have to do anything else. And he said, Okay, let me ask you this question, Carver. And he goes, would you do it? I go, number one, I don't have eyes in the back of my head, right? And number two, the cards really belong in the collector's hands. And believe it or not, I mean, I think Jeremy has spent time with me at a, at a, 
at a Diamond Club event. I can meet LeBron. I mean, at the, at the first ever Diamond Club event, we had LeBron James in Vegas beating all the big collectors. The amount of time that I spent with LeBron was exactly zero. I never said hi to him. I never said anything. I just saw him taking pictures. My focus was actually with the collectors because the collectors, inter actually being part of that community, talking to you guys, seeing your passion, it reinvigorates Prague team and reinvigorates for saying, you know what? I love these guys. I want to develop another product that delivers a home run to them because you are our customers, right? When you talk to your customers, like if you're designing a car and you're talking to a car fanatic and he goes, oh, I love sports car. And you talk about, you know, you, you feel that these people appreciate your craft, what you've done in, in the marketplace and, and in terms of developing a product, you guys get it. There's nothing more important than that. I mean, Yes, going to an all-star game is kind of fun, going to a World Series game or all that stuff. You know, on my bucket list is probably half stroke off on, on in terms of that. But you know, I, but when I go to an all-star game, I don't have the full appreciation of it. I'd rather hang out with the collectors, to be honest. So yeah. that's just that's just part of, you know, I'm, I'm telling from the heart, that's what it is. And and you're I mean, I, I know that you're not just saying that because I've seen you at many card shows over the years and you're uh, you're out rubbing shoulders and hanging out with everybody uh, back when you worked for Upper Deck and Panini. And now you're actually I guess you're kind of working for a sales organization where you're in distribution of products. So, you know, it's more natural, I guess, now or more kind of on point as far as your job description to do it. But I mean, man, we, we've we've been friends now for probably 15 years. And, uh, you know, that's because you're out and about in the hobby. So it's uh you know it's definitely i like how you said that you know you could have bought a hotel on the cayman islands with all those cards now you could probably if you if you still have those cards you could probably buy the cayman islands with uh with all those cards at, at this point in time right yeah. maybe even maybe even the whole caribbean who, who knows there, there's a lot of value stored in those cards i just want to bring up uh bm here made a comment a few minutes ago saying people who what he says he's saying is people who buy cards are sorry yeah, people who buy cards are sorry. People who say cards are just cardboard are just being ignorant. It's like saying start st stamps or stickers or painting is just oil and canvas or jewels are just rocks, right? These things don't really have um, much utility to them. You know, precious metals we use gold for fillings and that sort of thing. But let's face it, there's composites now. You don't need gold for fillings anymore. So what good is gold really? Except it's a store of value that sits in people's safes. And their safety deposit boxes that's they don't use them for their day-to-day -day life so what so why is gold worth any more than a than a, a basketball card they're both they're both you can't eat them you can't sleep in them you can't wear them <laughs> but you can trade them for things they you can trade them for things of value that you can sleep in you can wear you can eat you can drive all of our basic necessities as humans so Good, good point, uh, BM. I'm glad you said that. I was trying to say that earlier, but I think you said it a little bit better. Um, Sam says, I love my cards more and more. Listening to you, Jer, can we be neighbors? LOL. Sam, you're a great fan of the show. We become friends uh, because of this show. So, um, and that's one, the, one of the great things we're seeing right now in the hobby. And, you know, Josh is a pioneer of this. It's sort of kicking off this hobby content era. And we have tools like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube that allow us, and Twitter, I can't forget Twitter, that allow us to do this and share these things. And um, I mean, it's uh, it's really allowed us to enjoy our cards more. You're not just by yourself. You have your card friends. And we the way we share it, because we don't all live in the same cities, is, by, is really by these social media platforms. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I put up on the ticker below here, you know, there's Josh's Instagram 
cardboard underscore chronicles you know give him a follow he'll you'll see what he's doing it's fun to it's fun to watch what collectors are doing that's how we know what you're doing that's how i knew that josh was selling cards off to buy something big and that's how i knew what it was because i watched him reveal it live on instagram like that was exciting that was that was an event we make event this show right now is an event we've got some some you know people from the hobby carbon who's been around for a long time in the hobby as one of the one of the really uh i don't you know, I, the word pioneer is weird because the sports cards have been around since the 1800s but a revolutionary almost like revolutionized sports cards and i know carbon i know you didn't do this alone you had teams you worked at upper deck and then panini you're not the only guy that did this you had support and that's awesome but the hobby is constantly evolving and it's uh it's getting to a place now where with all this mainstream attention we are we, we as a hobby are excited for where it's going and with auctions like this from at, at golden auctions and other big auction houses uh making getting mainstream headlines it's really just kind of pushing us into the next sort of uh whatever that next era will be uh also have carve you can follow carvin on instagram at carvin 15 um, you know, see what he's up to. And I think he's getting more and more involved in with, with it. And then of course you can follow myself on Instagram, J Lee underscore cards. And I have a Twitter account for this show, sports cards, L I V one. I couldn't get sports cards live. Someone else had it. So they gave me sports cards, L I V one, but you can follow me there. So, all right, guys. I mean, uh, the last sort of topic I think we should touch on briefly is the discussion that is always going on in among all basketball fans, not just collectors, but it's the, it's a discussion of who is the goat. And by goat, I know a lot of, you know, this, so I don't mean to patronize, but goat is an acronym for greatest of all time. If you don't know, I'm just making sure everyone's aware a goat is the greatest of all time. And, you know, it's been sort of, uh, it's an ongoing debate in, amongst basketball fans and collectors. Of course, is it Michael Jordan or is it LeBron James? And no one else is really, in the discussion. I mean, you'll see some people mention Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain, uh, you know, I don't know if Julius Irving's ever in there, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. I mean, you hear other players in the discussion, but it always seems to come down to Michael Jordan or Larry Bird. However, and I think I think for the most part, most people believe it's Michael Jordan, but not everybody. A lot of people believe it's, it's LeBron James, and maybe they're the younger generation who have seen him play and never saw Michael play. However, the documentary, The Last Dance, that just aired in April and May, may have exposed more people to Michael Jordan. But um, who's the GOAT of basketball cards? Well, that's a done deal now. I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's a done deal because you, know, you could look at total market capitalization of, of the players and all their cards, but $1.8 million is a big amount of money for one single copy of one card. So is LeBron James the goat of basketball cards? Let's start with you on that one, Josh. Uh, no, I actually think they share the title. I think, uh, you know, Jordan has so many iconic cards himself. And we're sort of in this, like, one-up phase with card records. It's like whichever card sells last, and the LeBron holds it, holds the attention for now. But I think, uh, you know, there's some big cards out there with Jordan. There's the 2004 exquisite dual auto logo man of Jordan and LeBron is a huge card that features both of them. You know, Jordan has the green PMG, and I think if that one came up for sale again, we'd see it, you know, previous high of the $300,000 sale. So I, I kind of just, you know, I kind of give the lame answer. I, I think they're both goats, and I always just kind of put them on the same level. I, I don't really, I don't really game of one is better than the other because 
They never played against each other, so we'll, you know, we'll never know. And LeBron and Jordan was the best of his era, and he, you know, launched, you know, the, the media and marketing frenzy around basketball players, the internationalization of it. So he was a pioneer in, in so many regards on that. And then LeBron came in and, you know, took the mantle, and he's doing his own thing. He's got his own platforms, and he's expanding and doing things for his community. They each kind of have their own um, legacy in place that it's really hard to just say one is better than the other. And, it's, and on the basketball court, you know, Jordan has the six titles. LeBron's been to more finals. LeBron has some statistical advantages. You know, you, there's all these different arguments you can make. I think it's just um, – it seems kind of like a no-win situation to try to pick one over the other. I just – I just, I love them both, you know, for, for what they've done, and I love them for the era they were in. And I obviously love LeBron more because that's who I grew up with, and he's, you know, closer to my age range. So just that's just who I've attached myself to more because of that but i still respect the greatness of michael jordan you, you if you ask lebron himself he'd probably tell you that jordan's the goat because he because lebron is still striving to to still win he's still playing so he he himself has something to, to reach up towards and, and to go and and try and take uh so i you know i think lebron himself would even say jordan's the goat but he's hoping to be the, the goat himself all right, man. I like that answer. I like that, especially because I, 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 my perception of you is that you're, well, as you just said, you know, LeBron is your guy, but uh, to very respectfully kind of say, you know what, they share the title in your mind, uh, both from a cards perspective and, uh, and an on court perspective. I think that's, uh, that's just cool. It's just, it just, it just, it makes sense to me, you know, to me, I, I would, I would go with Michael Jordan uh, as far as playing, but that's mostly because, I've seen more of him play just despite the fact that, uh, you know, LeBron is current. Um, but, uh, I mean, to Michael Jordan's ferocity and his competitiveness. I, I don't know. I mean, that, that's what, that to me is, is sort of the difference, but I would never take anything away from LeBron James. He is, you know, it's almost like a, a one a and one B or just a one and a, and a slightly more than one. Like they're just so they're both such important players. And, you know, MJ isn't exactly the most, um, you know, social person, I guess, and, uh, you know, available LeBron, whereas LeBron, especially with what he's done in his community, I think, um, I mean, he might be the, he might be the goat of community service, <laughs> but when you're comparing them, but, uh, and as far as cards go, it's tough because, you know, you'd have to actually measure the market capitalization of both players, complete populations of cards to know who the goat is. But I think uh, in terms of overall, LeBron might have just taken a, a, a big step towards MJ, but you're right. Michael Jordan has a ton of cards that are worth a ton of money. And uh, and that dual logo man that you speak of, I mean, that might outsell this uh, LeBron James that just sold even uh, when that next hits the market, if it does. Carvin, you, uh, you want to pop in on this discussion? I know you're a, you're a guy who understands these things. What do you, who, who, where do you see the in terms of the goat of sports cards or basketball cards and the goat on court? Wow. I mean, I told you I was a UNC guy. So I watched that championship game where MJ hit that winning shot against Georgetown and Patrick Ewing. So that was a the, the step already, the first step for Michael Jordan. And then going as a junior to uh, leaving uh, North Carolina and going to win the gold medal in 84 um, in L.A. Um, I watched Michael Jordan ascend from his career. And, you know, obviously the stories that you hear, like Magic Johnson talking about the practice game in, in 92 and how Michael Jordan just dominated Um uh, beating them, you know, just the way that he was making moves. And that's probably, the, they always say that was the, one of the greatest shots that 
that magic always described how he just floated the air and everyone just fell to the ground and he still managed to make that shot. So we don't have any footage of that um, that shot, but it is it is a different era. Michael Jordan rules 1990s, you know, like the rubies, the PMGs, uh, the green PMGs, of course, and you know even all kinds of you know you, you guys already discussed how, what all kinds of like the playmakers the you know even the star quest are really hard to find because there's so much wax and trust me i opened probably 200 boxes of clear universe back in 97 98 and i got two rubies one was matt maloney i can't remember the other one so they were impossible to hit people paying thousands of dollars for those boxes i think they're nuts because you're not gonna hit anything in them you'll get a bunch of base cards and you'll get some inserts but that's about it um but you know, with LeBron, that was that was the whole like transition from nice looking cards, green, red, you know, chipping, all that stuff. And you know, it's interesting because I I managed to meet Jean at one of the conferences, and she was the inspiration to a lot of stuff that I liked in the '90s. But as soon as that transition happened in '98, '99, it got to jersey cards and autograph cards, and that's what everyone wanted to focus on. So why put all that money into technology when everyone wanted the you know the the meat and tomatoes of everything was just autographs and, and memorabilia. So we had to make a change in terms of how to present the autograph and memorabilia in a different manner and, and a well, uh, it's all about the aesthetics of the card. So when you collect a card and you collect it, it's because you like the card. It might not be just the value. It's like, I like the look of this card, so I'll buy it. And for me, like a lot of people are like, well, do you like, do you have, do you collect anything? A couple things I don't collect. I don't collect a lot of modern day players because I don't like their autographs. We, we call them give up autographs, right? We saw it with Cam Reddish, we saw it with Vernon Morency, you know, those, those type of things. And it was just like, yeah, it's just, you know, that doesn't look on card, on sticker, doesn't matter. It just doesn't look as nice and I won't collect it. I'd rather buy a Prism Silver Prism card of Cameron Reddish because that does not, doesn't even have an autograph. It doesn't, it's not an eyesore to me in, in a sense. So I, I think that's that's really important. And same as, you know, Vernon Morency or Maurice Ager. I mean, I, when I was at the photo shoots getting these autographs from these players, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> and, and what's it's funny is that I showed the um uh actually I'll I'll bring it out. Hold on one second. Just give me one second. Sure. Uh, all right, so here's the ultimate collection. I think I made a mistake and I, I kind of tweeted at uh, I mean I Instagram the golden auction saying this card was actually available. It wasn't, it was the regular one. Like that autograph of LeBron James, you guys see it. Yeah, that's his actual autograph. And how we got that autograph is a lot of times we at, at Upper Deck, they would need to sign an affidavit. So they feel that that's a contract or something. They actually sign their autographs for a contract. So that's actually his autograph. But then for the hobby, they change it up. Obviously, they're signing thousands or tens of thousands or twenty thousand dollars autographs. They're not going to be able to sign it in such a nice manner. So they'll, they'll find um, the, the autograph that they feel comfortable with. And what's interesting about LeBron and, and Jordan is that LeBron always his idol was Jordan. He was so pissed off when he went past six foot six foot six because he was like, I want to be six foot six exactly like Jordan. And if you look at why he wore 23, you look at the evolution of his autograph, MJ has 23 in front of his autograph with the M, and so is LeBron. LeBron has the 23 in the front because basically that's what they're doing. Now, in terms of uh player, I'll always say that Jordan's Number one, couple of reasons. He played for one team. He didn't go join a super team and won the championship um, in a sense, right? They they built a team around him in Chicago. So he played for one team 
and he also won on a college level. And <laughs> sorry, sorry, Josh. And also he he did he missed two years or three he played year, three years in college, which LeBron didn't. And he also missed three years when he went to play or two years to play baseball in the prime of his career. So we don't we even got to see him in his prime of his career. So that's what I'm I'm basing that decision on. Uh, in terms of personality, obviously we see a LeBron. I, I got to meet LeBron at a young age, so it's a different LeBron than it is today. Obviously, he's doing a ton for community, for you know the the social messages he's put out. But in terms of meeting people and being really charming and marketable, the most interesting meeting I ever had was Kobe Bryant by far. Kobe was by far the best athlete I ever met in terms of engaging, wanting to know the sports card business, understanding what explained to him what the grassroots was. I mean, I've never sat down in a meeting for two and a half hours, except for with Kobe, with a player. And he would be calling us on the way back, you know, from a game and, you know, driving in his Ferrari and wanting to do a conference call and talk about how to market his trading cards. Like that's the type of person he was with Kobe. And, you know, Unfortunately, we all miss them now. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Although interesting stuff, man. Thanks for sharing that. That's great. Um, all right, guys. Uh, listen, I mean, any uh, the I've gotten to the end of the comments here, so take another minute. If anyone has any kind of last minute uh, questions or comments for Josh Carvin or myself, please put them up there pretty quick. We're going to wrap this thing up. Um, so while I'm kind of while we're kind of doing that, I just want to you know say thank you to both Josh. Uh, Josh is from. Again, Josh has a YouTube channel called Cardboard Chronicles. Josh, how many episodes, how many different interviews do you have on the channel now? I think there's like 62, something like that, 61. So basically it's 61 episodes or about an hour long each and they're all Josh basically sitting there and interviewing another collector. So if you wanna, if you wanna meet collectors, you wanna get a feel for how different people approach the hobby, check out his channel, subscribe to it, and watch some of these videos. I think you're gonna greatly enjoy it. I know I sure did. I've seen just about all of them. And like I said earlier, I've watched several of them more than once because it's just easy listening. And I love, hey, it's all, as a collector, we love hearing how other people collect and uh, and we love to see the passion in other people. It makes us just realize that yes, we are we are not alone in this. It's a, it's a large community. So check out that, check out Josh's channel, uh, Cardboard Chronicles. And also I'll mention this for Josh as well, him and the team from House of Jordans have collaborated and developed a new sports card analytics tool called Card Ladder, simply cardladder.com. You can check that out. They uh, they just released it, I think it was on about June the 23rd. It went, uh, went I'm right, went public on June the 23rd. Yeah, oh, 23, perfect for MJ and LeBron. Okay. Yeah. When, when it was kind of released on the 23rd. And uh, so check that out. It's really cool. I've been using it myself. They have daily headlines and they, but really there's a, there's algorithms going on and uh, ranking systems and uh, you can do some customization in there. Check that out. It's awesome. And Carvin of course works for GTS distribution down in California. They distribute sports cards across uh the world right now, I believe, because I know Carvin, you're dealing with Asia and that. But of course, as we've discussed, Carvin comes from, he's put in his time at Upper Deck and Panini and is a really a wealth of knowledge. So I want to thank you both for joining. I want to thank everybody for watching tonight, especially the new viewers who weren't aware that this show existed. This is episode number 31, episode number 30. Well, I know I'm going backwards because this was a special event and a special episode that I just decided to do late last night. 
Episode 30 is on Wednesday with Dr. James Beckett, whose name is on all the price guides and the grading company, Beckett Grading Services and Beckett Authentication Services for their autograph authentication service. So he will be joining me then. So please check it out. All the historical episodes of this show are on the YouTube channel. You can find the ones that interest you and check them out. Let's just go run through the final comments and then we will say good night. So, and please do subscribe to, to the Sports Cards Live channel as well. I'd greatly appreciate that. Um, do you have a sell now number on the card today? Uh, somebody, uh, Josh, Ziggy wants to know, do you have an, is there a number that you would sell your card for right now? Not for sale. What That's what I love to hear. Uh, uh, Jake from 90s B-Ball Cards says, shout out that card ladder, uh, a happy user of card ladder. Very awesome. Doobie Collect says, Cardboard Chronicles is what brought me to the hobby. So there's a big endorsement for Josh's uh, YouTube channel, Cardboard Chronicles. Everybody go check that out for sure. Uh, BM wants to know, Carvin, when are you back in Toronto? No idea with COVID-19. Right now I'm back in the Carlsbad area. So I, I don't, they won't even probably let my family in. Probably won't let my daughter in. I can probably get in with my Canadian citizenship. Yeah. Okay, Jeremy, I have this, so we'll, we'll go over that. Yeah. Okay. That's a good, I forgot about that. We're going to do that in one second. Sure. Um, what, a couple other comments here. Yeah. Simon says, is there even a reason why Josh would ever need to sell his LeBron RPA? I mean, as a collector, we don't buy cards planning to sell them. Like you sometimes do. Let me get that straight. You sometimes do. But when you buy a, a grail, a, a white whale, that Moby Dick that, that, that Carvin was talking about earlier, you don't buy it thinking about selling it. You think that when you do sell it, you're going to sell it for a lot of money, but you don't ever decide I'm going to sell it on, you know, June, June of 2025. Like that's just not how we think. We think we buy these cards and we, we hold them. We like to own them. It's a big, big part of it uh, for sure. Uh, Paul says nineties b-ball cards. I'd love to try and explain to your average accountant sports cards. Well, Paul, I'm your average accountant right there. So uh, I, and I, I'm happy to talk about it, but I think I, I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. DAHV33D, great show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Terry, thank you for watching and you're welcome. So uh, if you're still watching, guys, we're going to do a quick little giveaway here. Uh, Carvin has been featured because of his involvement in the hobby, his importance in the hobby uh, in creating very uh, important sets and even taking older sets and making them better. Uh, he was, he was, bestowed the honor by a product called Allen and Ginter that is a Topps product where they featured him in a card. And this is this is the card right here. He's holding it up. It's an Allen and Ginter Carvin Chung card. Believe it or not, that's a pack pulled card. And we are going to give. No, it's not. It's not pack pulled? No, pack pulled is this one. And I had to pay for that one. So it's a, it's, it's one that was given to me to give out to people. So um, I'll give you a trivia question. And then uh, whoever answers it right, you just tell me the inscription that you want on here and I'll send it to you. Okay. Right, so so give me the inscription on Instagram and then we'll do so. Okay? So there you go. So we're going to do a quick little giveaway here. We're going to do a trivia question and then you're going to put the answer in the comments, guys, everyone who's watching, put the answer in the comments. The first one that I see come through the comments is going to, uh, all you have to do is contact Carvin on his Instagram account, which I'm going to put up right here at Carvin15, send him a message. Let him know, you know, Carvin will make sure we got the right person and then uh, send him your address. I hope you don't get a whole bunch of messages with, with people's addresses here, Carvin. You're going you're gonna to be, be swamped. But um, anyway, we'll do that. So, Carvin, what is the trivia question? Do you have one in mind you want to use? I do. So, I may have to do a little bit of research. So, we talked about the first RPA in trading cards. 
I know there was some message saying that there was a other patch rookie, but not RPA. First RPA was in 2001 SPA football, SP Authentic football. So I said there was three subjects. Just give us all three subjects, the names of the subjects, which guys, and then you'll get this card. It's actually a pretty tough question. So you may have to do some research. So the three players that had that were featured in the first set that had rookie patch autos. Right. So and 2001 it, SP Authentic Football, there were three players that had autograph rookie patches. Give all us right. all the names and you get this card. So who were the three players that had the rookie patch auto in that year of SP Authentic Football? Let's see if we get any correct answers. Very well, quickly. It take a while, so don't worry. Let's just go through the comments. Any questions? Yeah, sure. go through some comments here. Yamwax says, great show, an absolute event. Thank you, Yamwax, for for uh, for tuning in. I do feel that this was a great show, so thank you again to both of my guests this evening. You guys are both stars in my mind, and it's been great to have you both, so I couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much. Legion Natalia says, wow, Alan and Ginter, congrats, man. Yeah, I mean, hey, who doesn't want their own card? Uh, and and as I said, that wasn't pack pulled, but there is a version of it that is pack pulled. So that's pretty awesome. Um, Ken from Golden Auction says, glad I saw the ad on Instagram. Great show. Thank you, Ken, for uh, for tuning in. Maybe we should have you as a guest one of these days, one of these months or weeks coming up here. That might be fun. Uh, what else? Yeah, um, we have some answers coming in here. <laughs> Simon says, Ruth Gretzky Jordan. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we, we might, you know, I don't know the answer to this question. Right. We got an answer. We got an answer. Hold on, hold on, Carvin. I, I told you, you're not supposed to be watching the comments, Carvin, because they're coming in from two places. The first one I see is from Chris West, Vic Gardner, and Mitchell. Is that the right answer? That's right. That's right. Yeah. There we go. Claudia Chang had Tomlinson, Vic, and Ichiro. Close, but no cigar. Chris K. It looks like he copied and pasted from somewhere. But the winner is Chris West. Chris is somebody that I communicate with, Carvin, so I'm not worried about you uh, getting the wrong person uh, contacting you to get that card. So, right. Chris, please reach out to Carvin on Instagram and send him, or Facebook if you need to, if you're not on Instagram, and send him the inscription that you want. He will sign that card and uh, send it out to you all, all himself. So that's awesome. Irving in the sh in the house. Irving, welcome as always. And one of the original uh, group breakers in the hobby, going back many, many years. <laughs> Mario, Wayne, and Gordy. Close, close. I love it. <laughs> Ken says, sure, hit me up. All right, Ken, will do. Thank you so much. All right, guys. There we go. A couple of congratulations to Chris. All right, so <clears throat> I think we're good. Final goodbyes and thank yous, everybody watching again. Thank you so much. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel if you have not done that yet. I'll have Dr. James Beckett on this show on Wednesday. I'm very much looking forward to that. He is, in my mind, the most iconic person in this hobby. And I don't even know if there's anybody who's a, who comes close. His name is synonymous with a hobby. So very excited about that. Again, Carvin and Josh, if you don't mind, stay right there. I'll be back with you in a second. We're going to sign off and say goodnight, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to Sports Cards Live, episode number 31. We will see you again on Wednesday. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.